What's happening, people? This is your host, Alex Osterley, and welcome back to another episode of Food Marketing Nerds. We took a week off for the holidays, but the amount of knowledge that today's guest is about to drop on you will do plenty to make up for last time. We've got Julie Fiker on the show today, who's the owner of Cultures for Health. Julie is somewhat of an accidental food entrepreneur. Those are her words, not mine. But her company is hands down one of the best content marketing strategies in the natural products industry. Julie is a self-taught master of digital marketing and has built her company to 30 people over the past eight years. She's got a great story and awesome products, and she'll surely teach you a thing or potentially 10 about content marketing. On today's episode, you're going to learn how to strategize your content marketing around new product launches, what CPG brands can do to increase their e-commerce sales, why social media isn't necessarily for everyone, and a ton more. So let's go chat with Julie. Welcome to the Food Marketing Nerds Podcast, where we talk marketing, branding, and social media with the smartest minds in the business. Here's your host, Alex Osterly. Well, thanks so much, Julie, for coming on to Food Marketing Nerds. It's a pleasure to have you. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So can you tell us a little bit more about Cultures for Health and how you got started? Absolutely. Um, Cultures for Health offers uh, starter cultures and supplies for do-it-yourself projects. So our main specialty is starter cultures for making your own yogurt, kefir, sourdough, kombucha, those sorts of fermented foods. Um, We also have quite an extensive product line for other projects such as soap making, um, shampoo, beer, wine, sprouting, etc. It's a lot of fun. Uh, We've been around for about eight years and we have a large website and people can order online. And then we also have have about 500 stores around the country that carry our products as well. Very cool. So before before the interview, uh, you're actually telling me that it was kind of a, a side hustle as you're you're parenting, and then it just became this <laughs> this beast of a website and business. How did that How did that come about? <laughs> Yeah, side hustle is a good word for it. Uh, I was in a position where I had to make a decision um, that so many people have to make about whether to go back to work after um, my oldest child was born or whether to do something on the side. And so um, I had recently, over the previous year, um, learned a lot about natural foods, real food, making your own food from scratch. And that included a lot of baking skills, like making your own sourdough bread, making yogurt, that sort of thing. And during that process, personally, I had learned that it wasn't really easy to get a hold of starter cultures um, and that even if you could get a hold of them, the information was really lacking. There wasn't anyone who was willing to sit down and really walk you through it. That that just struck me as really sad. Um, Making your own cultured and fermented foods is some art and some science, but it was a skill set that was passed down through the generations up until probably the last generation or two. I liken it to gardening. You know, all of our grandmothers could put seeds in the ground and grow these amazing gardens and, you know, we're all... uh, for the most part, a little green thumb challenged. Um, So we're just, you know, it struck me as just sad that that whole art and science had been lost. And so I decided as a little side gig um, to make ends meet for my family that I would would start a website and try to provide good information and support to help people on their journey. Um, And uh, little did I realize that it would be such a popular idea and take off. And now we are out in Raleigh, North Carolina, and we have about 30 people on our team. So it's grown by leaps and bounds over the last eight years. That's pretty amazing. And are there any strategies or... I guess maybe it's just the taste of the market, but is there anything that you can attribute that that massive growth to? 
So I think it was a couple of things. One, um, definitely with some serious luck. Uh, I would love to claim credit for knowing that this market was going to take off, but that would be a big fat lie. So um, we got we got a little bit lucky here. Uh, the real food market started to take off about four months after I started the website. And I attribute that to a couple of things. One, there is a pendulum that swings in our society between you know convenience and then connecting with things. So you know, crafting is also becoming big again. Gardening is becoming big. Cooking is becoming big. And so part of it was that there was that market swing. Part of it was during that time, there were some major food recalls. Um, Jamie Oliver's show came on. And I think that started to really help people understand that perhaps we needed to be a little bit more concerned about what was going into our food. Um, and then you have, you know, a, a rising number of food allergies, sensitivity, medical issues where individuals are really struggling to find appropriate choices that fit with their dietary needs. Um, on top of the fact that this was what, 2000, no, 2008, 2009. Um, and at that point, you know, we had uh, some economic challenges in our country. So you had a lot of people who needed to make their own food to save money as well. Um, so those factors, you know, all came together. And then on top of that, on my end, it was really about, you know, making good decisions. And that's something that is so important when you have a small business to be very thoughtful about uh, making sure that you have, you know, that you're using your resources wisely, that you're reinvesting in your company, that you're setting the groundwork so that you can grow. You know, I didn't assume, start out assuming that this was going to be a big company. I very clearly remember sitting on the couch and picking the name for the company because, the website was available that sounded decent. So, <laughs> well, that sounds good. There's no market research that went into that. Um, and so, it, you know, there were things that I just kind of did on the fly. And then there were some things that, you know, investing in some branding work, investing in a nice website early on that I really am thankful now um, that took advantage of what we could. So would that be uh, a major piece of advice that you would suggest maybe uh, if somebody is, is going to start up a company, whether it's similar or just in any industry, having a really great foundation as far as website goes? Absolutely. And, you know, and being realistic about your resources there. Um, you ultimately are not competing for your website with other people in your market. You're competing with the rest of the internet. So for example, if if I look at the rest of my market, maybe some of my competitors don't have as nice of websites, but in the end, that doesn't matter, right? Because my customers visit Amazon every day and REI and um, some of these other large websites. And so customers know instinctively what is a competent website, what is something they trust and are willing to put their credit card into, how a website should function, how easy it should be to use. And if you can't meet a bare minimum standard there, you're going to lose a lot of your customers really quickly. Um, and that was a piece of advice I received actually from a developer when we were looking to um, redesign our website about, oh goodness, six years ago. Um, that I really, to this day, I'm thankful for that advice. And I try to pass that on to others is remember you're competing with the rest of the internet and do the best you can with the resources you have. And so do you, do you as a company sell your products on Amazon? We do actually, yes. As far as the, the split between your marketing efforts, are you hoping to, to make... Uh, to push people to 
purchase through your website, through Amazon? Does it really matter? Well, in the end, as long as they purchase, I'm going to be happy. But <laughs> let's be real. Uh, I would prefer people buy through our website for a couple of reasons. One, the reality is for every business out there, Amazon's fees are very high. Um, and so, you know, our, our website is a little bit less costly way for me to sell. Of course, there is the trade-off there that uh, with Amazon, you don't have customer acquisition costs. And I could go on and on about that, but I'll just refrain. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. The other, uh, yeah, exactly. The other, uh, the other issue is that because we are selling projects, we're selling, um, you know, things that we hope empower people to live a healthier life and to care for their families. Um, we, we like to be able to provide support for those products. And Amazon is a really tough place to be providing support. Um, we, we do, I think we do a pretty awesome job at it. But nonetheless, I, you know, I really do wish that we, you know, more people would just come to the website so they could read the information and feel maybe a little bit better about their purchase. Now, all that being said, the reality is that people go to Amazon to search the products that they want. And if you as a retailer do not have an adequate Amazon presence, you are leaving money on the table. Um, you're also potentially not stretching your brand as far as you can. Um, and you're opening yourself up to all sorts of problems with drop shippers and the whole arbitrage situation. Um, and so it, it, Amazon is one of those things that can be very frustrating. Um, it can kind of be a thorn in your side as a company, but it I think along with, you know, other third-party platforms, depending on your market and what's appropriate, um, it can be really an important part of your, your marketing channels. And that's a tough thing that we're seeing a lot of e-commerce co e companies come to, to kind of deal with is trying to push back against what the, the market is really demanding from, from their companies. And it's really accommodating the the fact that Amazon is just a, a, a juggernaut and you kind of have to have to at least have a, a presence or optimize optimize that channel but it's a it, that's a tough a tough split to deal with it is and in the end you know as more and more business on the internet goes to companies like Amazon um, eBay you know possibly jet depending on what happens with the Walmart acquisition that sort of thing we as digital marketers are still going to have to be very cognizant that these companies are not going to push our products for us um, the same skills that make us successful on our websites are going to need to be you know redone and used appropriately for these third-party platforms to drive traffic as well and what, one of the things that I am most impressed with amongst all the other great accomplishments that you've had with Cultures for Health is, one, the, the website is amazing. If you guys have never heard of, of Cultures for Health, you have to check out the website because it looks like a, a prettier looking Amazon on your own page, basically, just the way it's laid out, <laughs> and, which is a compliment. And Thank you. And, and two, the content marketing strategy that you guys have is, is phenomenal. You guys have some amazing content. And I'm just curious... What was the the catalyst or maybe the switch to, okay, now we need to start putting out content and or was that the strategy from day one? It was actually the strategy from day one. And I, I use the word strategy in this case very lightly. Um, my focus personally when I started the company was about education. I had an education background. It was important to me that people understand the products and understand how to use them appropriately. And so I didn't start out day one saying, all right, I'm going to suck up to Google and make this work and put out a bunch of content. Um, and I know that's a very popular thing to do, but that wasn't my mindset at the time. Um, that being said, uh, in all honesty, I went a little too far in that direction. Um, I, I've come to realize over 
over the last couple of years. Um, we put together a ton of content. We actually have, we've been calling some of it, but we have about 2,500 pieces of content on our website, um, which is borderline wow. ridiculous. <laughs> so, That's insane. <laughs> word of warning, once you have that many, you get to employ someone full-time just to keep track of all of it and <laughs> make sure it's all <laughs> up to date. <laughs> so That's less know. search results than some of the things I'm looking for in Google. Absolutely, yes. So be thoughtful there. But I think the biggest thing that I have learned um, doing mar- doing content marketing is the really uh, the big importance of having a strategy and understanding up front um, not just that you can create content because that part alone I, I run into so many entrepreneurs with that part alone just totally overwhelms them they think if I could just create it people will come well just like creating a business, you know, people just don't show up on your doorstep unless you're insanely lucky. Um, so having that strategy up front is really critically important. So before you even create the content, you need to be very conscious of what are you creating this content for? Are you creating it to drive traffic? That's great. Okay, what are you going to do with that traffic once you get it? Um, ask any blogger. They'd be happy, I'm sure, to explain to you over a number of drinks how awful it is to try to convert traffic. Um, and so having, having these strategies up front is really important. Just understanding there's, there's nothing wrong with creating content for the sake of driving traffic, for the sake of getting your brand name out there. Um, but I just really encourage um, the people I work with to, to try to think very carefully about not only what content did I create and is there a place for it on Google and am I promoting it appropriately and am I doing all of these things that I need to do in order to make that content rank and actually drive traffic, but then what is my plan for that piece of content long term? What are my goals for it? How am I going to test those goals? What what different techniques am I going to use? And you know, what, what am I going to do if this piece of content succeeds or fails? What's my next step? Um, so just having that strategy up front, I know it sounds like a lot of work, uh, but you can save yourself a lot of money and frustration uh, by being thoughtful up front before you start writing your content. Now, I know you guys have a, a new product launching, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. If you could frame that in the context of you've got this product that you're about to launch, what does it look like as far as the strategy of we're going to produce this content, this is the goal of this content, and what is that goal and how do you measure? Absolutely. Um, so about four months ago, uh, we sat down as um, I sat down with my marketing team and we decided that we wanted to put together kits, starter kits to the project so that a person could order a kit, have everything that they need to make kombucha or make cheese or make kefir, something like that. Um, we've carried starter cultures, we've carried all the supplies, but we've kind of inadvertently placed a high bar sometimes in that say you want to make Greek yogurt you might have to come to our site and figure out which culture you need which yogurt maker and so to take that pressure off people and improve our funnel um, we decided to make these kits and this ended up being a much uh, larger and more complicated project than we anticipated and and that it's a little bit embarrassing because we should know better at this point. But uh, some, you know, even when you've been doing this for years, sometimes you get in and realize that this was way more than you thought it would be. But I, I am, I have an amazing team of people, and they pulled it off, and it's amazing. But um, that being said, content was a huge part of what we did, and it was a plan from the beginning. So, for example, part of the content strategy was um, to get the information to the customers initially when they come to the website, so that they understand what it is they're buying and get kind of pulled down that initial funnel. We get a lot of people coming to us who might have a vague idea of what it is they want to make, um, and we need to capture them and get them into the right page right away with an add to cart button so that we can 
can get them converted as quickly as possible. And so a lot of effort went into, with my content manager specifically, but went into making these beautiful landing pages uh, that had a lot of calls, clear calls to action that contained beautiful pictures. I have an amazing graphic design team, um, a multimedia team that just put together videos and pictures. Every single kit has all that supporting documentation laid out in such a way that someone can glance through it initially, feel confident in their decision, add the product to their cart, and then refer back to that page later um, if they do have questions or they want to walk through it. So that was part of the content strategy. Another part was, you know, having at a higher level funnel for people who just want something easy. So we have entire pages that have all of our kits on them. So people can see that we have a wide variety. Uh, there was a great deal of effort that went into how we set up uh, the instructions. So for example, we ordered, um, we as a team ordered a bunch of uh, recipe make it at home kits that are all over the internet that I just won't name. But <laughs> um, you all know who they are. We ordered several of the different brands of those and really sat down and scrutinized their instructions. You know, what was it that they were doing successfully? What kinds of pictures? Where did they stop and split one step from another? And so that was an entire piece of content as well. Um, and then putting together, figuring out what the complicated steps were and making sure did we have pictures or did we have those uh, GIF images that move or do we have the... Um, or do we have a video if something was really complicated? Like putting tops on bottles for some reason is, is really complicated for a lot of people, which is totally fine. So there's a whole video now online of me showing you how to put a top on a bottle. Um, and so, uh, but doing that well, you know, it does a couple things for us as a company. One, it not only does it just help people be successful, which is our, our number one goal, it also encourages them to come back to the site, back to the site for more information, back to the site to potentially purchase an additional kit, one for themselves or their friend or family member. And then something that maybe isn't always thought about is when you're creating new products like this, you want to ensure that you're not creating a nightmare for your customer service team. Um, I have this amazing customer service team and we do not want to generate more calls for them than absolutely necessary because all those calls not only potentially result, you know, as a customer frustrated maybe because they're missing a step, something like that, but then it costs us money. Um, and so that has to be factored in as well. So we had um, probably our most complicated strategy for content we've ever run into with this project. It's hmm, interesting. As far as the first touch or point of awareness, is that social media, social media ads, is that pay-per-click? Where are you guys driving that initial traffic? Well, the kits launched two weeks ago and we are using all, We I basically uh, told my team we're going to throw the kitchen sink at this. So <laughs> every, every marketing channel that we have needs to be bathed in these kits. So we do have them out on PPC. We do have them out on social media. Right now, in these last two weeks, the majority of the traffic for them is being driven by uh, email marketing, uh, which we have a, a large email list. So that kind of makes sense. Um, and we have a very loyal email list and an engaged email list. And so there's been a lot of excitement with our cust our current customer base surrounding um, the release of the kits. And we're getting a large number of people who are buying multiple gifts. And so as the, you know, the month goes on, I mean, it's November, beginning of November, we're thinking we'll see a lot more of those multiple kit purchases as we go into the holiday season. That's interesting. And I was noticing on your website that you have, is it 220,000 newsletter subscribers? Oh, I should update that. I think it's up to like 320 now. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. That's insane. <laughs> 
How did you grow that, that size of a list? Uh, so a couple of things. Email marketing is probably one of my favorite forms of digital marketing. So I could tell you on and on about it. But um, the short version is that we have always collected email addresses since the beginning of the company, even though we didn't start sending out emails until I think year four. So we, we, we collected a list and pulled that together initially. Very important. If you're going to launch, if you're going to launch any sort of marketing online, you got to start collecting your list right away. Uh, we used pop-ups fairly early in those collection efforts. That was just one of those things I one day sat down, decided I was probably going to go to hell anyway, so might as well just use the pop-up and move on. <laughs> so they do. They're annoying, but they uh, were. Yeah, that was a hard thing for me. I just felt like I was doing something so wrong. But um, started using a pop-up, started putting calls to action on almost every page. The majority of our traffic comes in through content pages, not e-commerce pages. So the recipes, videos, articles, that's, that's most of our traffic is coming for information initially. Um, so getting calls to action on all those pages. And then more recently, we've uh, upgraded some technology and we now run split offers um, based on landing page. Um, so depending on the page you land on on the site, you might see a little bit different offer. Using that system along with both entry and exit offers, we were able to go from collecting about 1.5% of email, um, new unique visitors' email addresses to about 10%. So yeah, so that's been very effective. And so I, just scrolling through your website, you, your information is organized in a really logical and I'm sure strategic way that I, I don't know if you split tested or or did some did some scroll tracking or or whatever it was that that ended up at, at the way that this is structured. But what is it? I guess what is the strategy behind where your content is placed and and uh, is there a strategy behind that? Yeah, we finally just had to come to a realization that since most of our traffic was coming for the content initially, that we needed to get that organized as effectively as possible. And so it did involve um, some scroll tracking, some uh, some heat map tracking, trying to figure out what it was that people were finding most valuable, looking at the search terms on the site. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things that you could do to kind of figure out what it is your customers are looking for. Um, and then it really came down to making very beautiful pages that were very very logically organized. Uh, my content manager is—we uh, call her our librarian. She's she's very type A. She's very organized. She's really amazing. Um, but getting all of that organized in such a way that it makes sense to the vast majority of people. Um, that's kept people on the site longer. It gets more clicks. Um, and then from there, going back to what I was saying before about you know having a strategy for what you're going to do with this traffic once you get it, uh, we've been working quite a bit with um, split testing and with just different offers and different places of calls to action on pages, even just our content pages, trying to work on our calls to action to figure out how do we take someone who is looking for you know a recipe on how to make yogurt and get them to the point where they're purchasing a yogurt starter. And I will not claim that we have fully cracked that nut yet. <laughs> I figure I will be rich and famous if I ever do. Uh, but just like, you know, you look at all of the large blogs out there, you know, this is just, this is a tough thing, no matter what industry you're in. And so we're always, we're all going to be trying different things and watching what works for other people and just keep improving. And so just, for example, you have a, a how to make kombucha tea video that I'm guessing is put on maybe YouTube, uh, Facebook video with a call to action to come to the website. 
Yes, absolutely. YouTube is our main, is where we primarily host things, but we do upload them to Facebook with a call to action as well. And so when someone's clicking through to the website to, to learn more, are, are you pushing to make the sale on the first visit to the website, or is it more of a retargeting effort to try to retarget a warm audience? We actually, we push for that first sale and initially. Um, so we normally will route people either to a content page that is set up um, as a content e-commerce hybrid, where there's clear calls to action, easy ways to add the product to your cart, or depending on the product, sometimes we'll, we'll route people directly to the e-commerce product page. Um, and we've done some tests, you know, different products just require, unfortunately, different strategies with that. Um, lower, lower cost products are often easier just to route people to the main product page, higher cost products, you know, sometimes people need a little more convincing that this is a good choice for them. And so a, a more content e-commerce hybrid might work better. Um, and so we we do different things with different products. Um, but uh, yeah, the videos the videos are really interesting because they do drive um, they do drive a decent amount of traffic, but they end up being more of a support material than an initial um, an initial uh, purchase situation where people find the video and decide to purchase. We find that more people use them for support. That being said, we obviously use retargeting like everyone else does. <laughs> so if we don't catch you on that first time. Um, I will follow you around the internet. <laughs> so, we'll get you. Yes. We'll find you. Absolutely. Is there a, a strategy or say a social media platform in particular that you can point to and say that's definitely our most successful driver of, of first awareness? Oh, for social media? Um, actually, oddly enough, social media does not work well for us. Really? Which is, yeah, I know. Nobody believes this. This, is, <laughs> this has been the big thing. Um, it has to do with a couple of factors, um, best I can tell. Granted, also that I'm going to be guessing. Um, social media is great for brand awareness for us. It's great for supporting the products long term, helping people maybe feel like they're part of a community, like with our Facebook page or with our YouTube channel. It's not real great for introducing products to people. And I think part of the issue is that when people think about maybe taking on a project like making sourdough bread, um, I think there's a tendency in our society to overthink things a little bit, um, that maybe this is hard. Maybe it's a huge commitment. You know, it's, you know, maybe this is some sort of lifetime commitment to the sourdough starter. I'm going to have to keep alive or something like that. Um, and it's really difficult with the very abbreviated, um, space that you have on social media to really communicate to people that this is nowhere near as hard as you're making it out to be. Um, that this really is something that you can do. We will help you be successful. Um, and so we have had, you know, I have very, good friends in other industries who just make bank on Facebook. <laughs> and I am so jealous of them. So while it does work to a certain extent, it is definitely not a big driver of traffic for us. It's more of a long-term support community um, community thing with us. Huh, that's interesting. It was not the yeah. answer I was expecting. I know. Nobody does. <laughs> <laughs> So before before the interview, we had a, talked a little bit and you said that digital marketing was not your expertise before starting this company. So how did you teach yourself this stuff? What were the resources you used? Uh, very good question. I The biggest thing that I did early on was I got over myself and realized that I didn't know what I was doing um, and that I needed to learn from other people. So we... For example, you know, chose a company really early on that I'll just not say who it is, but a high end, a high end outdoor company that we felt like our customers would have a lot in common with them. And then every time we made a decision about what to do with the website or content, we would first ask ourselves, what would company X do? 
because we're pretty sure company X has money for focus groups and A-B testing, and we don't have those things. And so really paying attention to what was going on in the space around us, not our industry, because our industry is not on the cutting edge of e-commerce by any stretch. And so looking outside of our industry to other natural living industries or, out, you know, kind of the, the outdoor the outdoor living is a is a kind of sometimes a good example because there are some large companies with some serious resources competing in that industry. But going and, and again going back to that whole idea that you know your customers expect you to work as well as Amazon does. So just really paying attention, figuring out what was going on, disable your pop-up blockers because you want to see every blasted pop-up on the internet. You want to know what people are doing. You know, if, you, if you're disabling your, if you got ad blocker on, you're never going to understand the latest and greatest things that are going on with retargeting. You know, you need to sign up for companies that are better than you, all their email, you know, all of their email uh, cadences, and you want to get on their site and surf around and see what they send you or, you know, maybe buy one small thing and see what they send you for follow-up but just really pay attention the internet is such an open place like all of this marketing if you know if you start to understand what you're looking at you know what a retargeting ad is when you see one you can get some really great ideas on on what's available and and keeping in mind that a lot of these technologies are released to big companies first and then trickle down to the rest of us so something you see this week that a big company is doing on Facebook may be available to you in three weeks Um, and you may be able to you know run out and, and get your ads put up and that sort of thing. So it's, it's constantly staying on the cutting edge. It's, you know, making sure that you're being smart, you know, is whatever your marketing that you're looking at trying a really good fit for your market. That was something that was really challenging. Um, our market tends to be a little bit more conservative than the general public at large. And so that's something that we have to be a little bit more thoughtful of about what marketing techniques that we use and don't use. Um, we can't always be as maybe as in your face as some other companies are like I can't send an email every day like certain children's clothing companies do to me so there are there are certain certain things we can and can't do but then again it's also testing you know it's it's constantly testing and saying what will my market bear Um, and so pulling all of that together you know over the last eight years it's been a really fun ride and the reality is the digital marketing changes every week the rules get adjusted slightly the options get adjusted and you have to be willing to pay attention and try things and be careful, don't overspend, <laughs> make sure you're getting good returns and that sort of thing. And it's, it really is something that is that you could be successful at. And as far as gauging that success, when you're putting together a, a content marketing plan or promoting a, a single item or maybe a product line, how are you measuring that success to make sure you can attribute this piece of content or, or this, I guess, marketing effort was a direct direct correlation with this sale? Oh, well, that's the problem we all face, right? <laughs> Attribution. <laughs> I went to a conference about, oh, I'll, I'll shoot, nine months ago, and we had dinner, and it was a small group thing where they put us all together, and then our table spent the whole time arguing over attribution. Um, <laughs> so, who won? Uh, well, those of us who, who felt it was important won, but um, in the end, no one could do it properly. Uh, this is going to be a thorn in everyone's side for a while. Uh, we tend to rely heavily on Google Analytics, which is not great by any means, has, you know, a ton of problems. Um, but at least it's an apples to apples comparison. And then what we'll do is we'll pull in data from our third party providers. So obviously, like our, our email service provider has metrics that we can utilize. Facebook has metrics we can utilize. Um, and so we're always kind of pulling in all the data together and looking at it and making some level of extrapolation that the, the, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. 
in terms of, of how we can at- attribute um, revenue. You know, and unfortunately, in the end, sometimes it's just a guess. You know, I have a good friend who they advertised in Sky Mall for years because they were convinced it was working. <laughs> um, and their gut tell them it was working for them. And I, you know, who am I to say it wasn't? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, and I think it's partially too deciding, you know, what your comfort level is. You know, what is what's what is your comfort level with, you know, direct attribution? I, I personally prefer to see things working. I prefer to see some level of direct attribution, contri- you know, for a certain form of advertising contributing to a certain product sales. Some people are much more comfortable with just this idea of brand awareness, and they're willing to spend a lot of money on brand awareness. I think it just depends on your product, your market, your AOV, your budget, um, what you're able to, to stand with that. So I'm curious, just with the just the nature of how abstract measuring can be, I mean, there are, there are instances where you can have the, the direct act- attribution to the p- particular sale. How do you, how are you able to go about setting a budget? Are you reverse engineering the results that you want? Or is it saying we can afford this budget and then going from there? What we generally try to do is start with most of our marketing systems, we'll start with very limited test budgets and then we'll just measure ROI. And we will spend as much as we need, as much as we can on any marketing channel that's pulling the return that we've determined we need for that product based on you know the COGS value of that product, et cetera. Um, and so we tend to be very conservative when we try new marketing channels. Um, we tend to just set very, very tight budgets. Um, for PPC, for example, we work with an agency that's really good at not wasting money. I love them dearly. Um, they're just good at what they do. Um, and so it's, I think it's just about setting your expectations early you know what are you willing to throw away for this and then what return do you need to keep throwing money at it well clearly you are a rock star digital marketing and thank you self-taught which is impressive i mean i guess (laughs) most digital marketers that to some extent are self-taught since it's just continually evolving but from going with no knowledge to to the level of knowledge that you have today is is impressive thank you it's a lot of fun (sighs) so are there any tools that that you guys use, whether it's for social media or uh, measuring the the effectiveness aside from Google Analytics? Well, each of the, I mean, each of the systems we're ultimately running have tools built in. So for example, our, our email service provider has analytical tools built into that. Um, it's a, it's a pretty good platform. So we've got some data from there. We use, you know, we basically use whatever data is available in the systems that we pay for. So, you know, and we pull whatever Amazon, well, for whatever am, worth Amazon's reports are, but we pull Amazon's reports and pull as much data as we can out of there. I actually have a very um, comprehensive marketing metrics spreadsheet that my staff fill out every month. And it's it's by, you know, for email, for example, it's the different campaigns. What was the open rate? What was the conversion rate? What did we sell? All of that sort of thing um, that we can pour over every month and make decisions about trend, what's trending and what's doing well. And the data gets pulled from all over the place. Some comes from Google analytics some comes from the esp some comes from facebook some comes from crazy egg or some of these other you know little tools that you can tack on and and utilize as well um so there's no like specific system that we're running um beyond that it's just cobbling together based on the best information we can get and part of it is because i'm cheap and so (laughs) (laughs) yeah it feels like there should be an automated process in in the system but i uh, no I, i fully i fully agree there just doesn't seem to be something there is holds all of those different capabilities in one. Yeah. And sometimes you just, you have to go with what you have and can afford and make the best use of it. And that's okay. Now, 
Is there anything that you know now, aside from the digital marketing piece, with starting a business that involves uh, that involves food? Is there anything that that you know that you wish you had known when you first started? Besides, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably the wrong answer. Um, I think I wish I would have fully understood the amount of work that is involved in maintaining compliance. Um, you know, I, I, I dove in with, you know, a limited understanding of what would be required and obviously had to get ramped up on that real quick. Um, and over the last eight years, it's been it's been quite the right because obviously the bigger you get, the, the more compliance issues you potentially run into. Um, and so I, I think just I wish I would have had a better understanding of liability and compliance and just kind of what I was walking into. Um, but, you know, that being said, obviously, this has been very successful. And I would imagine as much as I talk like I would never do it again, I probably would. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's encouraging. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So I, I think food is I think food is just wrought with some issues, you know, anytime you have people putting things into their bodies, you really have to be thoughtful, not only about, you know, safety, of course, and, and you know, taking good care of your customers, but also what are you saying about this product? You know, what do people, what do people assume about the product? Um, we want, you know, we want people to have the best possible experience and it's important. We have a lot of customers who come to us because they're very sick. They have allergies and they need to control what's in their food or maybe their children's food. That's a big responsibility as a company. Um, and it's something that's kind of evolved over time. It's gotten more complex since we started um, for sure. But that's something I wish I would have kind of had that crystal ball to understand a little bit better. Hmm. Uh, looking back, it's probably better that you didn't. Just <laughs> would have been a little scarier to, to get into the industry. I do. I do wonder sometimes. Yes. <laughs> okay. So we've got a couple questions that we ask ask all our guests, and okay. this has been an awesome interview and super educational for for me, and I'm sure our listeners too. Um, digital marketing, just in general, is is demands a lot of time, and mm -hmm. it's basically you can basically work as many hours as as you can possibly afford health-wise and, and schedule-wise with putting out content and, and whatever else you want to focus on. But is there anything that, that you use or do you have any productivity hacks that help you stay on top of what you're doing? We heavily use both Asana and Slack um, internally. Um, Asana to manage projects and Slack for communication. Uh, we've really moved away from email internally. That's helped quite a bit. Um, having notes in Asana, um, and having uh, channels and Slack set up for very, like the kit project we just did has its own Slack channel around here, which has been really helpful for making sure that we're all on the same page with projects. Um, so those have been, those have been our big ones. Uh, I am trying to learn to use Evernote right now, but <laughs> one of these days I will master Evernote, but we're trying to move as a company to using, using it more to do better documentation. Uh, you know, a lot of obviously what you do in digital marketing is once a year, twice a year. So, you know, we're going to have our Black Friday, Cyber Monday sales. Well, we're not going to come around to those again for, you know, looking at the those again for seven, eight months. Um, you know, and we're really trying to think better about how to be more organized, how to have notes on what we did last year, what worked, what didn't, that sort of thing. Hmm. So kind of documenting in the processes and it's tough when you only do a, a sale once a year to, to really hone in on that process. Absolutely. Well, and we're very committed around here as a staff to, um, 
group learning. Uh, our, my marketing team, once a month, we all get together and everyone does a presentation uh, because we can't all work on the stuff together, right? So I have somebody whose primary job is email. And I have somebody whose primary job is content. And so having having everyone sit in a room together and talk about what they've done this month, what they've learned, what their next thing is they're testing um, helps all of us learn together. And that goes along with documentation because we always want to be in a position that we can move people around to different jobs so they can continue and growing in their career and feel you know satisfaction in their job. And that's a lot harder to do if you're not doing a really good job documenting so that when Black Friday comes around again, someone knows what we did for email last year. <laughs> <laughs> Great. And so last question, is there a favorite book of yours or something specifically that helped you learn either digital marketing or just marketing in general? No, I'm really bad about reading business books, which is kind of a shameful thing. Uh, uh, recently, I read The Hard Thing About Hard Things, and I loved that book. <laughs> but it's not marketing related, so it's more management. Um, but no, I'm really, I'm terrible about reading marketing books. Well, I think Hard Thing About Hard Things is, is still, still counts. Yeah. <laughs> not, not in marketing, but business books in general. Definitely one of those great books. I was listening to it on a trip and I kept stopping in the airport because I was like, wait, what did he say? <laughs> <laughs> I love those books. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, this has been a, been a great interview and I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. It's fun. So where's, uh, where's are the best places for, for people to find out more about Cultures for Health? So on our website, culturesforhealth.com. Perfect. Well, I would highly recommend everyone go check it out. It is the basically the model for what any e-commerce site should be and there's a lot of great content and you guys are doing a really great job so thank you again yes absolutely anytime thank you all again so much for listening to the podcast and if you guys are finding any value or enjoying what you're listening to we would really appreciate if you go over to itunes and give us your honest feedback in the ratings and review section it would really help us out so thank you all again and we'll look forward to talking to you on the next episode Thanks for listening to the Food Marketing Nerd Podcast. For interview transcripts or to download your free social media ebook, check out foodmarketingnerds.com.